What's up, traders? Anthony Crudelli here, and welcome to the Futures Radio Show podcast. Today's episode, I'm joined by Tony Greer, a well-versed trader and analyst in both the macro landscape and technicals. We'll discuss where macro and technicals coincide and disagree, examine market resilience despite a hot CPI report, and delve into the outlook for 2024. Plus, we'll tap into Tony's insights on what he believes could be the biggest surprise this year. Let's get started. Today's podcast is sponsored by TradeStation. Serious futures traders, level up your skills with TradeStation's powerful platform. Enjoy flexibility, superior trading power, and save big with 50% off brokerage fees for life. Open a new futures account today at TradeStation.com slash Anthony. That's TradeStation.com slash Anthony and get 10% intraday margin rates on three popular futures markets. Discover why TradeStation is my go-to platform for trading options on futures. Explore their robust platform now at tradestation.com slash Anthony. Tony Greer back in the house. What's up, my brother? How are you? AC, what's going on, my man? How are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm excited to speak with you. I love your work and your work resonates with me probably as much as anybody that I follow on social media or follow their newsletters and everything that you do. Because what I love about your work is that you build a theme and you'll look at what's happening in macro. You'll look at what's happening in the charts. And I also love your ability to change your mind. (laughs) You know, you don't hold too tight to a narrative, but when you see something that you like, you stay with it until it proves otherwise. And so having you here today at the beginning of the year is great because I want to get that perspective for all the traders out there. You know the macro and the technical both very, very well. And it's not an easy thing to achieve and do. What are you seeing right now where the macro and the technical are coinciding? I would say, you know, the idea that yields have peaked are curling over and that correlation to the dollar has been, you know, real and looks like it's going to continue. You know, it's like as as we got to that pivotal moment and rates started heading lower, the dollar index started heading lower. Like that seems like that correlation is going to continue. It seems like the charts agree with that now. You know, the dollar index to me looks like it's, you know, a bit off or breakdown through a hundred into you know, at least territory that it hasn't seen in a while, which always makes it interesting. And that's happening for a reason, right? I mean, it feels like the rate hiking cycle is over. We can debate until we're blue in the face about how many rate cuts there's going to be next year. That's, you know, that's not really the job that that's not, that's not what I do. But that's one thing that that, that kind of stands out to me as something where, you know, the narrative, the fundamentals, the technicals that we just watched, you know, they're for about the last year go together where it was a strong dollar and higher yields. Now that's turning, the technicals kind of agree. So, you know, it's easy for me to be long treasuries in these conditions. It's easy for me to be short the dollar. And I don't really trade those things. I kind of use them as uh, speedometers or barometers for the other stuff that I trade. So that's my view on, on something to answer that question directly, if that's fair. No, that's perfect. I mean, I see that too. Uh, from my work. And here's the question on that, though. You had the Fed dot plot, like you said, take it for what it's worth, right? They're looking at three cuts next year. You go to CME's Fed Watch tool, which I look at, which is 
of course, not going to be 100% accurate. And because it's it's a Fed watch tool based upon the Fed fund futures and what's going on in those markets. But it's telling us that the market is getting way ahead of the three and it's thinking six. So then I go back to the technical and the macro and say, is the market anticipating too much? Could be, you know, there could be a little bit of an overshot. I can't say that it's an overshot yet because it doesn't seem like the reaction to the idea that yields are heading lower is over, if that's fair to say. You know, we're still seeing massive strength in big cap tech, right? That That's going to be a hallmark of the market perceiving rates falling, right? So we'll see where we are when, you know, the two-year yield finally stops falling and, you know, kind of see where that shakes out in terms of cuts and what we can estimate. But for me, the market snowball is rolling downhill now from, you know, hikes to cuts to lower yields, that kind of thing. You know, gold's come alive, obviously. That's one portion of the market that you'd like to see. Interest rate sensitive sectors of the equity markets have pretty much started to come to life in the last week since we got CPI off the board again without a big risk to the upside in CPI, which might have sent bonds reeling again to the downside. So since the market is still reacting to that, you got sectors like, you know, housing starting wants to rally again, you know, in a rate sensitive sector, retail wants to try to rally. And, you know, those are the things to me that are probably likely to be constructed during an election year and as much as they can be. Yeah, you make a great point. This is why I love talking with you. You looked at the market reactions after CPI, you had a hotter number come out, treasuries tried to go down and then they rallied from there. And so once again, the reactions to the potential of less rate cuts didn't impact the treasury markets and the reactions, all that matters. And so, you know, I, I can't disagree with you there because basically the, the bulls have the momentum in the bond market and the bears have it in the dollar, but I want to get to the, go ahead, Tom. Yeah, no, I just wanted to say, Tom, because this is critical to my thesis, right? This is uh, I just want to draw back to November 14th of last year was when, uh, when we, yeah, it was last year when we got October CPI, right? That was the day to me that the bond market decided like, oh, the risk of inflation is gonzo, like gone, wiped off the face of the earth, right? So for me, that day, we had two sigma rollover in the dollar. We had a two sigma rally in treasuries, two sigma rallies in 17 sectors of the equity market that day. So my point from that day on was I literally sent out a bulletin after CPI came out and I was like, stop what you're doing and buy stocks. Right. The market just decided that CPI is not a risk, period. Right. We just got data that was in line and the bond market and stock market said up, up and away. And so to me, now that's why that's the only reason that I cut you off. To me, CPI days are continue. The last one was a direct continuation of the CPI day in November and December when we got CPI. And this week's was close. Right. At least it's the market saying, yeah, forget inflation. We're up and gone. So that's why this all ties together. And I wanted to bring out that point. This is what I look for on CPI days. When that reaction stops, then I know I have adjustments to make. Yeah. For example, what you're saying is maybe we get a CPI number that comes in line or comes in a little bit softer and treasuries can't go where they we dump. think they should go, which would be right. higher. I think we're down. Yeah. Exactly right. They dump. Then all of a sudden you say, well, the trades maybe gotten crowded and now they're using that to cover. Yeah, right. There's, you know, there's not much juice left in the long treasury trade. You know, either it's too crowded or the market is totally priced in, you know, that level of rate rates falling for now, if that's fair. So it's going to yeah. be tricky. I don't have the answers, but I know what I'm looking for, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, no, that's, that, I'm so glad you brought that up. It's such a great point. 
uh, is to watch the reactions to the themes to see if they're following through uh, with what they've done in previous numbers up till now. Because like you said, that could be a great sign. It's something that you don't see in a chart or you may necessarily see even in the data you see in the market reaction, which is obviously what matters the most. I want to go to the point, uh, back to the point where you made a, about being a barometer. And so if that is the theme that you see has both macro and technicals, where is that feeding into other markets that that theme is going to have a direct impact on those trends? So the dollar, for me, it's easy to be long metals and metals stocks, metals and mining, either precious or industrial metals, kind of depending on the individual setups behind the scenes. But when I see the dollar start falling in reaction to rates falling, and I know that that pivot should be a really bullish thing for gold, that's where I can grab gold miners and start pushing, you know, and, and say, okay, the dollar's falling here. Like I have nothing until, you know, at least I think that this can play out over a couple of weeks where the dollar can be three, 4% lower, right? Let's see how that works. What am I going to do if that happens? Or if I have it on, what am I going to double up on? You know, so if I'm comfortable being long miners and which is something that I try to kind of bottom feed a little bit because I'm bullish gold and they're so, so, you know, underperforming lately. Once you get the dollar breakdown, you can say, all right, like, you know, now I'm going to be even longer miners and my stops down here. Come and get me because you know, this should all be bullish for gold and it should, you know, juice the metals complex. And so that's how I kind of use that. And especially tell most, most importantly, when the technicals line up in the dollar and the gold miners, for example, right? You know, you're, you're looking for the dollar to break down. It breaks a critical level. And now all of a sudden miners have a two sigma rally through the 50 and 100 day moving average, right? That's when I'm like rubbing my hands together and I'm saying, okay, let's double down on this. And, you know, say that this is the, that is a confirmation of the direction that we're going. We've got it on. So let's double up. So that's how I use that most directly, if that's fair. It is. And why the miners, maybe instead of like gold futures, why go to the miners? Yeah. You know, that's that I may have both on, you know, I'm just talking about what maybe, you know, maybe the miners are breaking out technically and sentiment is way worse than in gold. That That's yeah. all, you know, like sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm bullish gold too. I, I got all the gold I need for me. It's a lot harder to trade and it's really tough to make money in gold at the highs. You know what I mean? Like I can bottom feed and make money in gold if I feel that, that that's the trend and stuff. But towards the highs, man, it's like, I know yeah. what I got on in my safe. I don't know if the trade is going to work up here though. You know what I mean? That's, that's about all I, the only way I can look at it. Yeah. So it's just a risk management difference at the, at, yes. in those moments. Yeah. Got yeah, it. Totally. So I want to stay with this because these themes are so important. When you look at the market as a whole, then I start thinking about the Russell stocks, right? And the Russell 2000 is more tied to what's going to happen with interest rates because those small cap companies are just as they are. Their small caps are borrowing from banks. They don't have a ton of money. They're the ones that should be reaping the most benefit from a lower interest rate environment. But yet when you look at them as an index this year, they are once again the lagger. They are, but they just sprinted out of the gate like Edwin Moses, though, man. Right, Tom? They just set a they just set a record for the shortest time from the fifty two week low to the fifty two week high. That yeah. had me sitting up in my chair, you know. And so, while I agree, they're definitely you know they're lagging. Maybe it's because people have made the transition. You know, maybe that, that position is getting a little bit long because we know the rate pivots coming. You know, small stocks. Everybody bought them up that whole way. 
you know, so it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see. It should do fine. And you'll know that if it doesn't, then something's wrong with our thesis, right? That, you know, the market's expecting lower yields and that should be good for the small cap stock. So, you know, we take all the information we get. We're not always right. But if we process the information the right way, you can, you know, avoid a lot of potholes. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I've been trading a lot of Russell over the last several months and I'm just really directly looking at what's happening in the 10 year. You know, if that 10 years rally and you don't want to be short, Russell. <laughs> yeah. No, and that's what that, that you do it. You do it yourself, right? You do it yourself using the macro markets as a speedometer, right? For your risk management. Yeah. I and mean, that's why I like having these conversations with you. And I want to take it to the other side of the spectrum now. Yeah. Where are you looking at a macro theme that you're seeing the opposite happening from a technical basis? I feel like crude oil is in danger of a repricing to the downside. And it's only because, you know, I don't have the trade on right now, but if I, if I look at something that I'm very confused about, I got the dollar falling, gold is rallying, base metals at least stopped going down with the dollar falling. Crude oil has got no tailwinds whatsoever with this falling dollar move, right? In fact, it's kind of backing off. We're now at the bottom of the range. And this is for me, you know, it's actually, we define it as the forbidden fruit trade on the floor where something rallies and pulls back into this huge flat line range bottom. And everybody wants to buy that range bottom again. And next thing you know, the floor falls out of that range bottom and, you know, 72 breaks, 78 breaks. And all of a sudden oil's 55 bit at 60 and, you know, you get wiped out on a long position in a move that happens that fast. So it's just something for me to think about that I'm, I'm a little bit wary of because, you know, I mean, we're pumping oil like savages here in the United States, remarkably enough, you know, we're at record production. The refiners are cranking at like 99% capacity. And even though... We've seen bouts with great gas demand and, and, you know, globally growing gas and oil demand. We're back at the bottom of the range again, you know, so you have to be realistic when just a two months ago or a month ago, everybody was bullish. Look out for the Middle East. We're going to have, you know, $100 oil again. Here it comes. And the crude oil market said we're pricing Middle East risk at zero, precisely zero. World War Three risk, pricing it at zero. Oil, $70 a barrel. Treasury bonds, you know, off the lows, but they're not taken off like it's a flight to safety trade going on. That's for damn sure. So, you know, if you look at that way, the market's pricing the risk and say, man, I feel like a lot of people are vulnerable to a move in oil to the downside. And like I said, I don't have it on. I have zero risk on. I have no energy risk on at all for the first time in a long time. Um, but that's something that's on my mind, kind of counter trend, kind of could catch people off guard. And it's funny is I've been trading a little bit of oil here and there. You could feel it in the tape, the uncertainty, like the way it's moving. It's just, it seems so erratic. Price action is horrible. Horrible. It is. Horrible. You know, you're just looking at the numbers on whatever, you know, watch mode you're looking at. You're like, oh, this thing is a dog. <laughs> like ever it is, it's a dog and it's oil. Like I hate when oil's a dog, you know, it goes against my like, you know, momentum, commodity, bullish, you know, instincts, but it is what it is, man. You can't control that. No, exactly. And I want to talk more about the macro and the technical side of things, because when we look at just the little discussion that you have, you and I have had so far, we see where there's a strong theme with macro and technical and how the moves are cleaner. They're smoother, right? Doesn't still, doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it, it's still as a trader, you, you know where to target and you have conviction of a bias on the side of the market. Then we talk about oil where you have the mixed signals. You have a macro versus a technical and it's not a clean move. I go back to a guy uh, who was on a prop desk and he was a super short-term trader 
And I said, man, why do you spend so much time looking at the macro? He goes, why? Because he goes, technicals get me into trades. Macro keeps me in trades. And so he goes, even if I'm a short-term trader, he's like, I know if I've got the backdrop of a macro move that's working with the technicals, he's like, those are the moves I really try to hold on as a day or swing trader. And it really changed my thinking a lot because it actually started getting me into the macro more and understanding more about environment. And so my question to you is, because you understand both, what matters more to you? Does it have to be both together? Is one stronger than the other? How does that work? The technicals matter more to me, quite honestly, Tone. You know, I mean, I'm a trend follower and, you know, you've been in the markets as long as I have and you've seen long-standing trends go on and on and on, right? And then whatever it is, right? You can figure out where they were in the markets, where you've seen them. You know, we saw whatever the biggest bull run in treasuries, right? Then in the history of bull markets, right? The treasury markets was in and that seems to be changing. I guess that is why... That's why the technicals to me are more important, right? You can read sentiment along the way. One of the other points that I love about since I stopped having to have the macro positions on in my book so that I could feel like a big, you know, global macro trader, right? I stopped trading them because I realized doing a little research at the end of the year, they were net net either a losing or a break even venture at best right? They turned out to be not what I was good at trading at all, right? So I know where I make my money now and it's all in the stock market secret, I mean, to nobody, but um, the dollar and this stuff, once I stopped trading it, the relief of having risk on there and being able to just sit on the outside of the ring of a Muhammad Ali, George Foreman bout going, bullish dollars going out. No, they're taking it out of existence. The BRICS thing is that, and just being able to spectate and watch the dollar trade against that, it's like, I don't have enough popcorn for that now, right? And, and just not having to have the risk on and say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to add a couple more chips to this basket because I see what I think is going on around here. And you see it clearly because you don't have any risk biting you in the ass. And so just having that clarity of saying, I ain't taking on the bond market anymore, man. I got the scars, the t-shirts, I got everything, the whole line of merchandise for losing money in the bond market. And so now that I'm a spectator, my views are clearer. It's, it's more entertaining watching the bond market rates battle go back and forth and this and that. And it just helps me adjust risk in the equity plays that I'm in a lot better. And so now that I've got that, you know, divot out of my P&L, and I don't know if this answers your question, but that's why for me, like the technicals matter the most. And then taking that macro out of the risk profile and putting it in the spectator barometer, speedometer section of my trading toolkit. Man, like what a, what a difference maker that has been for me. So that, I, don't know, I don't know if I answered the question directly or kind of not, but I think that's where my brain went when you said something there. Well, I, I think that, well, no, you answered it, I think, perfectly because that's what came to your mind. And, and when you look at it from someone like myself, we look at macro and technicals, macro can never be my only reason for a position because I'm never going to have a strong hand in that position. I'm always going to have a weak hand because if I think that oil should be going up and I'm long oil right now, I don't want to be great, Tone. I'm trying to hold on to this color for as long as I can, brother. Exactly, man. Exactly. You have too much humility, like me, to be like, you know, I'm going to go take on the bond market now. And it's like, eh, I'd rather not do that when I can look at this trade and be like, dude, this is a breakout. I'll put my money down on the table right now. And if it's not higher at lunchtime, take my money. You know what I mean? Like those trades you recognize, you know what I mean? But, you know, the markets in macro that are driven by so much natural flow, you know, yeah. it's not a five-person poker game in the bond market. 
you know, like it is in the game stocks or like it is in Bitcoin sometimes, right? Like there's, you know, there's five huge pockets of risk and, you know, one can force the other one either way. The treasury market and the dollar in the dollar markets are not like that. They're very pure with flow and, and you know, decision making and large institutions and things like that. So I just like to sit back and watch that game develop and then see where I can pick away at other markets. Let's move to the technicals then. Where are you seeing the strongest or the weakest technicals right now in any any particular market you're following? Yeah, like you know, believe it or not, like the home builders are, you know, blinding me right now with strength and that that's like one sector that's blown the roof off, right? The home builders are trading into new all-time highs, right? They they look magnificent on the charts just because we've seen this little, you know, barely a little bit of a pullback in yields and they have just gone berserk to new highs again. So that's something that's on my radar screen as like, wow, I have to pay attention to these and either get in them because they're going to keep going and defying the world or there's going to be a breakdown that I can trade as well. So that there's a sector that's kind of got me confused or at least something that uh, I think is going to be worth watching and, and, and seeing how that goes. I'm pretty intrigued by tech right now. You know, it feels to me if the analogy that we came out of 1994 into the late 90s with unbelievable stock performance driven by rates flattening out and the tech craze, I can draw analogies to 1994 being similar to 2023, where we had that whole 500 basis point rate hike, the market S&P had trouble adjusting, tech got crushed two years ago, et cetera, et cetera. And so now coming out of that, where we know we can definitely drop a pin on where the rate peak is, and we can say if those are going to go lower, now we're going to, rates yields are going to go lower, we're going to have all kinds of trends that we can jump into. So if that trade lines up, then it's tough for me to not be really, really bullish stocks. You know, it really is. And what's great about the stock debate right now is that there's plenty of bears out there. You know, you can wake up and find bear porn all over Twitter any day of the week. And so that's one of the things that I remember from the bull markets of the 90s. You know, there were all these, you know, there were, there were, there were you know, disaster bears the whole way up and eventually the dot-com bubble burst, et cetera, et cetera. But it was five years later. And so anyway, if that analogy is correct, where now we're going to come out of a period of rising rates into flattening sideways to lower rates and the stock market, especially technology, is going to love that. And we have this tailwind of the AI and cryptocurrency, you know, which are both, you know, really coming to light as frontier markets again. Man, you know, that to me is a, is a really bullish scenario for the S&P. Again, I don't know if I answered the question again, but I think that's what came to mind. That maybe we were talking about opportunities, man. I mean, you know, opportunity for me is still being along the S and P. I think there's a waterfall coming, but man, out of that, I'd like to be bullish stocks, Tone. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned Bitcoin, and I'm just curious, what's your take on it? I mean, it's it's a hot topic of conversation again. Uh, you know, we're we're 16. How many years are we into Bitcoin now? It's probably 14, 15 years, something like yeah. that. And it grabs the colors of, of where we are in the conversation of Bitcoin. We're now to an ETF, which I still kind of scratch my head at and think to myself, I remember the times where everyone was talking about decentralization. Bitcoin is going to be this, you know, cryptocurrency. And now everyone can't wait to have the ETF. And that's what's going to take us to the next level. And it's kind of funny how that's, it's kind of different from where it originally intended to be. Right. But nonetheless, yeah. are where we are. And, uh, you know, Bitcoin, it's, more and more people are trading it. It is what it is. I mean, what are your thoughts on it? 
Uh, you know, put it this way. I, I, I can, I have, this is a, a security that is too young for me to have any kind of, uh, dogma about right like i'm not i'm not a laser eye guy you know i don't think it's going to save the world it does seem to have survived a very serious bout with you know being over its skis obviously with the laser eyes and all the bulls that thought it was going to a million at seventy thousand, et cetera, et cetera. that episode's behind us it could have been written off for dead at 15k right very easily you know and as soon as there was a sign that you know rates had peaked that was good for Bitcoin. As soon as they, you know, threw Sam Bankman freed in jail, you know, that was good for Bitcoin. You know, even though, it, you know, for me, that's like a technical albatross that kind of gets lifted off of the, you know, the skeeviness of the market, you know, and even though the D Department of Justice dropped the campaign finance charges to keep a little bit of skeeviness there, it was still, you know, at least they got him criminally for what he did. So since then, and I call it Bitcoin PBF post Bankman freed. So since they put that crook in jail, it's been trading unbelievably. It reacts well to suddenly to fading authorities, right? Fading political decisions. It works well against in, you know, periods of low liquidity. So usually like, you know, kind of a weakening economy, lower liquidity, zero interest rate or something like it scenario. So, I mean, it's, it feels very much with the uptake with the Bitcoin bulls. It's, I mean, the Bitcoin uh, ETFs, it's going to be around, right? It's going to be a product that I think is going to be with us. And then, you know, you can kind of make the sentiment bear case where it's like, what if this is the same as, you know, Glencore going public after the 10 year commodity run or, you know, Time Warner AOL at the top of the dot com bubble? And all of a sudden the Bitcoin ETF hits the tape, bang, 50K and down. Wouldn't shock anybody. Wouldn't shock me, at least. You know, so I'm there to trade it both sides. Technically, you know, like you, sometimes I get signals that are very strong and I can't resist and I'm in. And other times I'm just like, yeah, that's not strong enough for me to step into that ring with those lunatics. It's just not. So, you know, that, that that's kind of how I look at it full circle, if that's fair. No, totally fair. I, I mean, I just find it so interesting how much the conversation has changed about it. And, you know, like the regulatory conversation has actually now massively benefited it. So at least they say, and that's why yeah. I said, we'll see how this goes, but it's just interesting to hear your take. I want to go to a tweet that you put out. Uh, you talked about November 14th and that CPI number. I actually have a tweet that you put out on November 8th, where you said, I don't think traders realize how bullish this energy pullback fed pivot are for the stock market. If you want to timestamp me. Let's talk November 2024 with that hashtag spy or the dollar sign spy for people to uh, uh, tag that to the S&P 500. Talk to us about that. So for me, that was in the wake of sort of, well, I'll tell you what it was shortly after. It was shortly after I had gotten flat everything oil where, you know, we had the run up to 95 on the Hamas attacks into the Hamas attacks in oil. And then we had the full, that was shortly right after that oil slide, right from, you know, 95, where, where did it stop first at 80, right? And then I think it, it was in the middle of bouncing and on its way down. And I was actually having a conversation with another buddy of mine. And like, he said something like, dude, inflation scenario just got shot dead. And I'm thinking about it. I'm like, oh, wow, you know, that's a good point because now oil lower with in danger of going even lower takes the risk out, out of the bond market completely. 
in terms of the data reading inflationary data, right? We saw the nine and a half percent CPI print, right? We may never see that again. Like, excuse me, not, I shouldn't say that. In the short term, nine and a half print is going to be the high because to me, the, the Federal Reserve is going to have to manufacture a lower high somehow to keep inflation in the bottle, right? They're not going to let it go to 12 now. They're going to stop it at eight and a half or something like it. So my point with that tweet was, We've got commodity markets falling, base metals were falling in the background behind the fact that this is going to become a positive thing for input prices in the industry, cheaper gasoline, et cetera, et cetera. It has taken all the sting out of the bond market selling off because we're not going to get another upside surprise in CPI for I don't know how long, because tell me when you're going to get oil back up a hundred bucks and run it again after this event. So that's where I kind of put it was kind of a preview of kind of what happened on or how I, how I read the CPI data on November 14th, because that was a week later. And I was saying, just, to, just show me bond market. Just show me that you are not scared of the freaking inflation data anymore. We get inline CPI and bonds and stocks took off and ran. And that, that's when I was like, oh, it's all over, right? Like now the, the dislocation and bond market risk is officially priced at zero. We're going to figure out where rates land on the downside. But until then, stocks are going to party. And we're still in the middle of that party, if you ask me. That's why they won't go down. So that's where we are if that comes full circle. It does. And it comes full circle in this conversation because it begins with, at the beginning, how we talked about how we have a theme of what's happening in macro. And it's why it's important to know it. But as we discussed today, it doesn't have to be your lead reason to come in and make a trade. But if you understand the theme of the market, and where we are within the market environment, where we are within a cycle, it could help you become a better executor of your trades. And at the end of the day, that's what we're all striving to do here. This is the question I was thinking about really the whole time I was waiting uh, to sit down with you. Uh, I was thinking to myself, I kind of know what Tony's themes are. You know, I see the way you talk about things in Twitter and your letter and all that other stuff. But I want to know, what do you think the market is pricing in right now that could end up being the opposite? that happens and be the biggest surprise in 2024. I'm trying to think of one of the surprises that I'm kind of looking for in 2024. And dare I say, I got, I have to stick with my guns here until something changes. I think that one of the things that could catch the market by surprise is a downside move. And that would definitely catch me way off size is a downside move in the stock market, like a serious one. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I just went over like my thesis behind why we're not going to see that. I went over the fact that we, we discussed, I don't want to say I went over it all. It's terrible. I, we went, we've discussed that like, you know, the market's pretty balanced in terms of bulls and bears. And even though, you know, we've got the greedy sentiment and AII bulls index gets above 50 and it gets frothy. I understand that. But I think the idea that I, that in my head, I've proven that if we've taken this inflation bomb, upside inflation bomb risk away in the short term, meaning in the next six months or something like that, stocks can be way higher. So from, you know, you look at the street analysts and what I hated at the end of the year is that I, I you know, as you can see, I came to this idea in round early November. And then at the end of the year, like all the stock analysts on the street, you know, raised their S&P targets to above 5K, put bullish on it. And now I'm like, oh man, I'm like, you know, now everybody's in the boat, you know? So with the street leaning that way, with the fact that we've just had this really long, you know, six week run in the NASDAQ, meaning 60, six week of NASDAQ, NASDAQ leadership in the stock market, 
you know, we've gotten now to the point where sentiment is overly bullish. CTAs are long. I mean, this thing is ripe for a waterfall. But I feel like for the reasons that we outlined earlier, there's going to be buyers on the dip. And there's going to be plain vanilla real money guys trying to find a place to buy the S&P so that they can ride it into the end of the year. They think that yields are going to be stable to lower. So for me, that would be a big surprise. And I don't know if that's useful or not, but I mean, with the, with it kind of spooked me a little bit and made me uncomfortable when the street, all the street analysts kind of upgraded, joined my view of having a bullish S&P. I've had my clients in the SPY since November 14th. Um, so we got a couple percent in it. And my eyes are, you know, my eyes are peeled because we're, like I said, we're so ripe for sell-off now. You know, Vol, the, the VIX is sitting at 12, you know, just waiting to go 20 bid. And that's the way it usually goes. So I'm on my toes for that. If we ended the year in a negative territory, um, hopefully I will adjust to that because that is not what I'm thinking right now, man. Yeah. And, and you know, when, when I was thinking about this and this question, because I think about it a lot for myself and after hearing you at the beginning, I was like, maybe is he going to go towards the fact that the Fed just doesn't start cutting rates? I mean, you know, I mean, everything is set up for them to do three to six. I think that the market is pricing in probably right in between there. And boy, wouldn't it be a shock to the system? I think the biggest surprise would be that is that they didn't even get to three, what that would look like at the end of this year. And, you know, the election is also a big thing. I mean, and we're not really, you and I are talking about what's going to happen there because I don't even think we, we don't even know who the, the candidates are going to be at this point. So to say that would be a shock would be way too early, but I just keep going back to the rates. To me, that could be the most shocking thing is that all of a sudden the Fed just says, you know what? We did one or two, and what does the market look like from there? I mean, I don't know. Uh, you know, the one thing that you know, the way if you were going to talk about elections and speak a little bit freely about it as traders, you know, I feel like you know, say the S and P, say we get through this waterfall, say we have a little waterfall here at the beginning of the year because everybody's offsides bullish and the S and P sells off two hundred points, you know, into the spring, and we get on our feet in the summertime, and the polls have Donald Trump winning whoever his competitor is. Tony, you remember what happened in the stock market when they elected Donald Trump for the next four years, right? Yeah. And it was a lot of because of what he did. And I think that the market is just going to perceive that times 10, you know, after getting through, you know, what we just witnessed with the Biden administration and the whole, you know, DEI push. And now this doors flowing, flying off the Boeing planes. And we're at like a very shaky period. To me, that's the ups. That's part of the upside risk is that the S&P starts looking at saying, wait a minute, they're going to reelect this guy. And this guy is going to go, you know, ixnay to all the executive orders. He's going to put gasoline back at a buck and a half. He's going to have all the regulations cut for these businesses so they can get back out of their own way. And it's going to be capitalism for the next four years, apparently. That could happen in the markets, whether you like it or not, whether you think it can happen or not, that's possible. So, you know, that could be something where if I can position for that, that would be a spectacular thing. But I don't have a crystal ball, so who the fuck knows, yeah. you know? Well, I mean, let's not forget he wanted rates even negative at the time. Remember, uh, he's a lunatic. Know. He borrows more money than anybody else. Yeah, than right? anybody he's, else. He's, he's, oh, you got debt going up, rates going back down. I mean, it changes the whole dynamic of kind of where we are right now. So, oh man, it wrecks my brain just thinking about it. But anyway, Tone, you're the best. Uh, I appreciate you coming back on the show. It's been a couple of years since we had you on. Let's not keep it uh, that long next time. You know, I, I have uh, tons of respect for you. I think you're. You're great. I, I love the way that you speak to traders uh, and you put it out there clearly. 
and you know, you make it easy for us to understand the macro and the technical. And so I always, always appreciate you, my friend. Tone, I have to take a moment to steal the microphone for a second, because like I, regardless of when the last time I was on the podcast, I am still a fan of the podcast. I listen to him like, I listen to him like Manny Ramirez goes to batting practice, even with a couple of, you know, batting titles under his belt, right? You got to go to the batting practice and you got to get those themes reinforced in your head. And you're one of the people that I go to on the reg to get that done. And you just do an amazing job at it to the point that I think you're spying on some of my trades sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just unbelievable work. It's kind of like, you know, you're kind of right there when, when the risk manager needs you to kind of, you know, either take your ego down or to just be thinking a little bit more sensibly. So thank you for all that. And, and sorry, I had to take up so much time to tell you. No, man, you're the best. I appreciate you coming back on. And I, like I said, I appreciate our friendship and just everything you do. Uh, tell everybody where they can go and learn more about what TG Macro is. Yeah, man. Um, TG Macro is just my uh, publication and consulting business. I write a newsletter called The Morning Navigator that costs $800 a year. And I come up with a couple of high conviction ideas a month that traders really appreciate. Um, and then I have a Slack channel in my next level of uh, subscription that's really, really fun and fulfilling if you're really, really ankle deep in the markets. Um, you can find me on Twitter at TG Macro and contact me there. Any of your fans can email me at Tony at TGMacro.com tgmacro.com has samples of the navigator and that's pretty much where you can find me yeah everybody go and follow tony uh, and if you want to learn more about his stuff you go to tgmacro.com uh, he's the real deal as you can tell and he's just a good dude so tom thank you i appreciate you i'm humbled tone thank you so much for having me on man have a great afternoon